0: Hi, this is Nick Dawson, the Editor-in-Chief of TalkHouse Film, and you're listening to the TalkHouse Film Podcast. TalkHouse podcasts bring you a different kind of conversation. Two artists talking, unmoderated, asking questions not out of a sense of journalistic obligation, but because they are curious to know the answer. Today we get to sit in on a fascinating and intimate conversation between two friends and sometime collaborators. Jason Reitman, the director of Juno, up in the air and Young Adult, and Karen Kusama, whose excellent girl fight put her on the map at the start of the new millennium. Reitman was a producer on Kusama's third feature, Jennifer's Body, and both he and Kusama have directed episodes of Casual, the Hulu dramedy that Reitman exec produces. But the reason for their conversation was that Kusama's excellent new movie, The Invitation, is out now in theatres and on VOD. The Invitation is an incredible slow burn of a movie, a thriller that is a consummate example of directorial control and how to ramp up tension. It's one of those films that you should know as little about as possible before seeing, and as a result, Jason and Karen don't talk directly about the film a great deal. But what you get instead is a spoiler-free conversation about deep breath, trailers, including misleading trailers and how one trailer tarnished Karen's perception of Christmas forever, how Stanley Kubrick would feel about people watching 2001 on a cell phone, Jason's experiences test screening his movies, how Karen gained a new appreciation for Eon Flux, famously a nightmare production for her, how she sees filmmaking and the world through the prism of motherhood, and much more, including the appearance of a surprise guest.
1: Hey, this is Jason Reitman, and this is the Talkhouse Film Podcast. And I'm here with uh, someone who I love as a person and love as a director, and her name is Karin Kusama. And she directed a film called The Invitation. Uh, which is simultaneously in theaters right now and also available on your TV, online, basically anywhere you can watch a film. We'd She'd prefer if you paid for it.
2: I would, thank you.
1: Uh, <laughs> I, I think that's the appropriate thing to do. Particularly, You are so good at this, Jason. This film is, it is
2: crazy. <laughs>
1: particularly because this film is great. <laughs> it really is, and it reminds me of the kind of movies that made me want to start making films in the first place. Mm. The kind of independent american cinema that i associate with the the 1990s and the rise of miramax and personal filmmakers Mm -hmm. uh and and film festivals and something that i feel like maybe we've gotten away from a little lately Mm -hmm. but then all of a sudden i don't know in like the last couple months i've seen a lot of exciting films that have kind of Renewed my mm-hmm. uh, kind of my thrill for independent cinema, and right at the top of them is the invitation. Mm-hmm. And I know you've been talking about this film a lot, and mm-hmm. I know as a filmmaker how tough it can be to keep on kind of reanalyzing a film. But just because there's probably uh, a lot of people listening, uh, and this may be their their introduction, do you mind talking a little bit about just you know, how long ago? This became a conversation. Mm-hmm. You made this film with your husband, mm-hmm. and you know how it came about.
2: Yeah, we 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 probably started talking about it like seven years ago, eight years ago, because uh, Phil and Matt, the writer and producer team, um, they they write big studio movies, and so for them, this was just personal work that they could do to sort of enrich the the day and kind of temper the grind of studio. Studio filmmaking, which of course, fantastic resources, great paychecks, sometimes really good movies, but a lot of time it's just a lot of rewriting, it's a lot of notes, it's a lot of sitting down with twelve executives.
1: So is this kind of the girl on the side then? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. This is yeah. like the mistress yeah. project. Yes, this is the mistress. The one you think about late at night, yes, and the one you yes, like exactly. you sneak off to write.
2: Exactly, <laughs> totally. This was the mistress, and um, and she delivered. Um, it was really, I think. They just always saw this as sort of not a studio movie. They always saw it as a kind of accessible mainstream film that isn't getting made anymore. Because they they use you mentioned a certain kind of independent film. They were thinking about movies like The Parallax View and Clute and right. Three Days of the Condor, which were and Rosemary's Baby and Invasion of the Body Snatchers. These were all movies that were mainstream hits at the right. time. Maybe not so much Parallax View, but still I, I mean these were the. This was the commercial fare. These movies, and so I think they were thinking about like ways to be both accessible, but also sort of um, allow for some mystery, which is which I think is the harder and harder thing to do in today's movie making. It just seems like we we want everyone to kind of know what they're getting up front.
1: Well, that's the great question, right? I mean, I remember you know Robert Zemeckis famously showed both. Tom Hanks surviving the island in the trailer of Castaway, uh-huh. and revealed Harrison Ford in the trailer for What Lies Beneath. Uh-huh. And when asked about it, he said, yeah, audiences just kind of want to know what they're getting in for. And and then you have the opposite side of that. You have someone who, like, the most famous example right now is J.J. J. Abrams, who right. is really good right. at keeping secrets. And I also
2: think of Chris Nolan not showing Matt Damon in the Interstellar trailer.
1: Right. Like when
2: he showed up, I was like, oh, Matt Damon is in this movie? You know, that kind of interesting.
1: Did you uh, enjoy the fact that you didn't know he was going to be in? Or was I totally enjoyed it. Or was it strangely
2: unsettling? It. I totally, well, both. But I think that that's kind of interesting. That like he didn't want to freight the movie with preconceptions based on the baggage of that actor. You know, the sense of assumptions we make about that actor. So right. he just shows up in the experience. And then you have to sort of ask yourself why even. You you didn't see
1: him in the trailer.
2: I yeah. don't think we see him in the trailer. No, absolutely
1: sure. not. You're right. I mean, it's a huge weird kind of. Yeah. You almost because it's 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 exactly as you just said it. Also, you go wait, Matt Damon's on this planet. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like exactly. not even his character.
2: Exactly. Uh, exactly.
1: What's Will Hunting doing here? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, it it is interesting, right? Because we want people to see our movies. And you can't help but know that instinct to want to have more information, particularly in this moment when there's always so much information now Mm -hmm. out there. Mm -hmm. Uh, I mean, I remember being younger, and I would go sneak into movies just to see a trailer I heard was in front of that movie. Do you watch trailers?
2: I do watch trailers. I've always watched trailers. Remember, occasionally in, like, repertory theaters there would be those um, compilations of trailers, like two hours of trailers from like say mm. 70 slasher movies. I would totally go see that. No way. Oh yeah. Just to see the trailers, just to see what's out there, what the weird ways. Like there was a movie when I was a kid called Black Christmas and that trailer played on TV. And there was something about that trailer that like got in my just in my craw as a child that made me feel like Christmas is forever corrupted. I have to see this trailer as a grown up to understand why it corrupted me. And of course I saw it and I was like, that's so weird that that like affected me so much. But it was in one of those compilation screenings where it's like you sit in a rep theater like a New Beverly and watch trailers for an hour and a half.
1: Now, when you think about your experience watching trailers, though, does that change your opinion on how much your audience should know about your film going in?
2: Well, but see, I think of trailers that I love, and so often they're about, like, um, of, a vibe, you know? Like, do you remember the trailer for um, the movie with Jennifer Jason Lee and Jason Patrick called Rush? Yeah, of course. And it was that—it that, wasn't burning, but I think it was a ripped American flag just sort of swaying in slow-mo and maybe, like, a Jimi Hendrix guitar solo over it and, and just, like, really intense— sort of pieces of the movie that felt kind of like dangerous and fucked up. My memory is that the movie was not as good as the trailer, but those kind of trailers that just had that just communicated a sense it's very 70s. It's sort of saying like America is not the wonderland. Right. We we thought somehow that speaks very directly to me. So I love those kind of trailers.
1: It's interesting to watch, you know, for for example, my father's films which are comedies and there's now this new thing where they will do two different jokes on the day of shooting, one that will go in the trailer that yeah. will never be in the finished film. Yeah. And then an entire other set of jokes that are for the movie.
2: Which I think is really weird when you see stuff in a trailer that doesn't end up in the movie. Right. I'm always a little bit like, where'd that thing go? Like, I, but maybe I'm too, maybe I pay too much attention to trailers. It'd be
1: kind of good if you did that actually in a thriller where there's like a big (laughs) jump in (laughs) the trailer. Yeah. yeah. But then when the character gets to the, you know, they're walking down the stairs or they open the bathroom door, the killer actually isn't there in the movie and then shows up, you know, oh, actually they're in the bathtub or something. Yeah.
2: Yeah. The misleading, the truly misleading trailer. That's really funny.
1: Yeah, really or funny. A, a, imagine if you did a film that was a thriller where in the trailer you revealed someone as the villain who then they don't, mm-hmm. and then they get killed you know, in the first yeah. uh, you know few minutes of the movie. <laughs> um, uh, that's really funny. I never thought of that. The trailer can be a total con.
2: Yeah, yeah. That would be an interesting way to do it.
1: What's your experience with this day and date? Uh, this is your first day and date film. This
2: is, yeah. And, you know, I have had mixed feelings about what what it ends up doing to your theatrical release. I mean, I know, I, I suspect you and I have different opinions about this, but I feel still, well, you'll tell me, I feel still like the way I see movies and often truly, truly, truly remember them is in a theater. Mm. And maybe that's just like I'm kind of that last gasp of that generation that just, that's how, the only way we saw movies. And then, you know, maybe there was like, in my teens, the introduction of the video cassette you know but Mm -hmm. like ultimately the the movie theater experience is still something i really value and what do you value
1: most about it and by um, the way i value it too i'm not yeah yeah, totally honestly
2: it's the size of the screen and it's complete darkness ideally and Mm -hmm. it's like sound that is big and loud ideally um i like the sense of being made smaller by the movie do you know what I mean? Like, oh, I love that. Can you imagine Stanley Kubrick, like in today's times, having to imagine people watching Two Thousand and One on their phone? I mean, I mean it this wouldn't... is a
1: guy who had people go out and secretly measure theaters it, it, and make sure that the decibels were right. Yeah, and, I mean, uh,
2: I, yeah. I, I, just think there's a there's something about the size of the the, the theater experience, even when it's um, not optimum, not optimal right. sort of standards. I still find preferable to. My my television, which is still a big screen, Mm -hmm. but it just doesn't have the same drama. You know, it's so easy to like get up and make a cup of tea or pour myself a glass of wine or or check my phone or it's interesting. When I think
1: of your phone, I can actually sorry, when I think of your film, I can make arguments for seeing it at home. Either no, either way. I Uh mean, uh, yeah, I've seen it twice now, I've seen it both times in a movie theater. It's a very unsettling Mm -hmm. In a very unusual way. It's 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 not a uh, traditional traditional thriller. It's not a traditional horror film. Right. And and yet it really gets under your skin uh, in a way that's not just about, you know, who's the guy with the knife, but more, uh, you know, uh, what's the knife? What is the Uh, knife? Exactly. (laughs) And the evil within and 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 feeling trapped and trapped in the suburbs Uh, there's so much that works about it that carries with you on the drive home and being in a theater really made that work Mm -hmm. the sound really made that work Mm -hmm. I did feel small in the movie theater Mm -hmm. watching your film I did feel scared it did carry with me on my drive home and at the same time your movie is a film that takes place in a house and I can't imagine how creepy it would be at and people have told me that. In your living room watching that film. People
2: have said to me, like, I really made a huge mistake and decided to watch your movie, you know, on iTunes by myself at home. And I so regret it because now, you know, I've like lost two nights of sleep. Like, I love hearing that. But it's really interesting that that's – I'm I'm glad the movie is scaled toward that kind of viewing. You know, I'm really glad that it, it actually works in that environment because that's going to be the – that's going to be the way most people see the movie. Frankly,
1: mm-hmm. it's interesting. You know, you and I uh, both worked on television. We both worked yep. on the same show. Yeah, yeah. And uh, certainly, the quality of television has changed the opinion of what it's like to watch something good at home. You know, absolutely.
2: T- well, because so often there's so much good TV on that why would you go to the theater to see something half-baked if you could see something fully realized on television?
1: Right. And we're having profound experiences at home watching these great shows. Absolutely. Uh, I'm curious. Yeah, do you think that will help rebound people into watching films in theaters, or do you think that only sucks them into their sofas further? I don't...
2: I, I think, I personally, I have to believe that good storytelling creates it's sort of like eating well if you eat really well for a long time and then suddenly binge on mcdonald's all of a sudden you feel like crap and so i'm kind of hopeful that like if you see good storytelling and start to identify what satisfies you about that you'll seek it out anywhere you know like in the theater or at home you know i think the question of the long-form habits of television, or the binge watching of television. That's different than a lot of movie-going habits. But I still feel like, I don't know, personally, what beats going to the movies? For me, I still feel like if I can see a movie in the theater and it blows my mind, I walk out just like feeling like my faith in humanity is restored. Right. So our lovely sound engineer was t- saying how much he um, likes Eon Flux and that he was he. It's one of the few movies that he can watch silently because he loves how it looks. Oh, that's which, a nice compliment. It is kind of nice. Yeah. And um, and I was saying that I feel that um, you know, it, it's a, at this point a famously unhappy experience for me, and so I never had posters of the movie like in my office or anything like that. I never. You know, like how sometimes you commemorate your work with like, you just keep, you frame a poster. I never That's did that. I never did that with um, with the Unflux, you know. And then Phil found this website that takes movies and compresses every frame of the movie into a single line of digital information and then essentially stretches that out to what looks like just um, a rectangle, like a widescreen rectangle of lines of color. And so you can see like, oh, that's the scene in the relicle because it's all like these like white and gray lines. And that's the scene in the, or the uh, gold and amber lines. And that's the scene with the handler because that's all these white and gray lines. And that's the scene in the, it's like an abstract an abstracted poster of the entire movie.
1: That's insane. Insane.
2: Insane. You and have so that up. I now, yes. And so I got one of them. I had one of them printed because they did my movie for some reason. And and they do all kinds of, you know, like the Godfather. It's just like
1: Amber. Yeah. I was about to say, it's just all Amber. <laughs> like it's, it's amazing. A cup of coffee. It, yeah.
2: Yeah. Totally. But it's, but it's this like striation of your movie, completely abstracted, completely new way of seeing it. And it, gave me a different appreciation in a way to sort of see like oh the balance of color and how that was part of the story or whatever you know like it it gave me a sense of um i don't know a different perspective
1: let me ask this because you brought up uh eon flux and you've made four very unique films and i want to talk to you about confidence Mm. um because it's really tricky as a director. It's it, so it requires a weird amount of ego that allows you to say, "Oh yes, you should give me a lot of money so I yeah. could, you know, tell a hundred yeah. crew people to go build this pretty frame that yeah, yeah, I yeah. need to make. Yeah, that yeah, I, yeah. I, I'm sorry, it, it's a must. Yeah. And, um,
2: <laughs> uh, yes. And I demand that it is so.
1: You've made. A, you, you started your career with a, a microfilm mm-hmm. uh, that was basically as celebrated as a film can be celebrated. And you made an enormous studio film that I know was uh, kind of a heartbreaking mm-hmm. uh, experience and where you got basically thrown every speed bump that a director can get thrown. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you make this uh, horror comedy, which is a very tricky film mm-hmm. uh, tonally. And you come into your fourth film with like this very mixed bag experience yeah. uh, as a director, and I'm wondering where, where how you dig deep because I think a lot of filmmakers, mm-hmm. uh, given the road that you've been given, uh, and and I think a lot of your career has been, it's like sometimes it's choices you make, but a lot of time it's just like, hey, this is what we're throwing at you, buddy. Yeah, yeah, um, it's, it's
2: stuff out of your control,
1: and a lot of filmmakers in that moment go for weak stuff. Mm -hmm. They go, all right, um, uh, I'm kind of getting kicked in the teeth right now. I'm just going to go do something easy or I'm going to go do something that I know just like everyone will be fine with. And instead, you dug deep and you made a challenging, beautiful film uh, like The Invitation. And I'm wondering, how much are you aware of that? How much of that is a conscious decision Mm -hmm. Uh, to go, no, this is the artist that I am. Mm-hmm. I'm going to make something that's smart. I'm going to make something that's challenging. I know that there's an audience out there who wants to see this kind of work. Mm-hmm. And even though studios aren't banging out the door of anyone to make complicated films right now, this is what I need to do.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: I mean, I think that this is what I need to do moment came after making two studio films that um, had their challenges. I mean... Eon Flux having a lot more than 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 Jennifer's body. But even Jennifer's body there was that stuff that I think you and I both experienced was out of our control. There was just stuff in the culture, there was stuff in the marketing plan, there was stuff that we couldn't climb past. Like there was there's only so much influence I think I was able to have in that moment. And that was a really humbling interesting thing to kind of reckon with. And I think that led me really into this interior place for kind of a long time to really be thinking, why do I do this? Why do I want to keep doing this? And I feel like I was really lucky to spend a good portion of my son's early life with him and sort of see in that period when I'm asking all these questions of my professional self what am I doing this for? To see sort of all the basic um, urges and instincts of humanity, like in a kid, kind of tells you how much we need stories, like how much we attach narrative to every aspect of our life. I mean, often, I, like I, I felt um, like the two studio movies taught me a lot but it really left me with this feeling of, like, life is too short and this is too hard to not be making what you want to make. To not be making things that feel... What a lovely sentiment. You know, well, just that feel meaningful to you, you know? I mean, and, and who cares if it, quote, works? I mean, in a way, you know, like...
1: Well, particularly when marketing is going to have such a say... Totally. I'm, on Jennifer's body, I remember the big thing they kept on coming at us with was, yes, but is this a scary film or a funny film? Mm -hmm. And and it was kind of like, it's peanut butter cups. You get in the chocolate and the peanut butter. What's the problem? Yeah, yeah,
2: exactly. Well, and it's so interesting, too, because if you recall, all of our initial meetings were like, this movie has to be scary, but it really has to be funny. And then while we were shooting, it's like, this movie can be funny, but it really has to be scary. And so there was a little bit of a sense of like, Okay, I get it. Like, <laughs> it's got to walk a fine line, and we're doing our best to to do that. But um, I think...
1: And be ironic and earnest at the same time, I, too. I,
2: yeah, I mean, I just think that's so hard. There was there was a little bit of, like, a, a kind of pressure for that movie to sort of serve every master. And it's like, that's not how movies work. I think movies have to have be their own master, you right. know? And that, I think, was an interesting thing. Like, the testing... I don't know how you feel about this because I, you test your movies pretty mm-hmm. routinely, right? I felt like our testing experience was like classically confusing, classically could direct you into any number of wrong kind of wrong choices.
1: Testing is good for certain films, and it's not good for others. I found that the, interesting. The films that I've made that had a a. Sp- Specific point of view and direction the audience would watch, and they would let you know how on or off target you were. But on a film like Young Adult, Mm -hmm. with a really complex main character that is, you know, not a traditional hero, it becomes a very muddied process because the audience is still trying to get over the fact that they don't know how to handle this main character, let alone let you know whether this scene was too slow or whether that scene other scene was funny. Yeah. Because they still don't know if it's okay for them to be laughing.
2: Yeah. Or to be horrified or to be sad. Right. You know, because I think that young adult is so um, it's such a complicated landscape emotionally that you're kind of traversing. And I think Another issue with testing is that we're asking an audience to simplify our movies for us when the movie is often asking that the audience think about the world in a more complicated way. And so particularly with young adult, I felt like you were sort of saying, like, here's, here's a larger understanding of humanity, of the female hero in a movie. Like, and that's challenging, because she's often really difficult, really hard to watch, you know. And so I think, I mean, can I? I don't know personally. Like the idea that you had to test that movie,
1: and it tested horribly, by the way. Did it? That's uh, interesting. I mean, it, I it's, mean I, it's the worst mm-hmm. uh, testing film of mine. Uh-huh. Uh huh. And what
2: did you learn from the process of it? I'm just curious. I. It,
1: Everyone's talking about a little thing. Like, Uh uh, she used to drink more in the movie. Interesting. And the initial response was, this is a movie about an alcoholic. Uh And I thought, oh, no, that – I'm not making – You don't want
0: that. (laughs) No, it's not
1: a movie about an alcoholic. I clearly have to cut back the amount of drinking. If she normally takes three swigs, let's make it one. Right. And let's get away with it. Because I don't want people to go, oh, yeah, this is is a movie about a drunk. Right. So for that kind of thing, I think it could be very useful. Um, But it's not – Useful in terms of how did this movie make you feel because, you know, I mean, that's, again, you and I have both now worked with Diablo and Diablo writes complex feelings. Yes. And no matter what genre she's working in, uh, her characters are complex and how the movie is supposed to make you feel is complex. Totally.
2: And I think, you know, I think she's not afraid of... I want to say like our ugly impulses, Right. <laughs> you know, like and and I think I think you had a real challenge there. It's like you've got Charlize up there who's playing a character who's really small inside, mm-hmm. you know, and that's um. I'm sure there are a lot of people like when we were talking about Matt Damon and like, oh, wait, Matt Damon's in this movie. It's a little bit like you're front loading. Charlize is in the movie. But then you're sort of like, but who is this person she's playing? You know? Right. Because it's um because she's so small inside. And and you're trying to mine that and explore that. And and I'm sure there are a lot of people who are like, I, I don't I want something sunnier, you know?
1: It's interesting because I look at that film and I and that, you know, my daughter was four years old when I made that. Mm. And I look at that film and I see my fear of fame and vanity in uh-huh. society
0: mm-hmm.
1: I'm curious you talked about how much time you got to spend with your son mm. over the last you know basically you know the uh, you know nine years but like yeah yeah know, particularly these last kind of five six as he's becoming more uh cognizant yeah and your newest film the invitation uh, has a very tough look at mm-hmm. where we're at and I'm yeah. wondering you know if you're talking about how much time you're spending with your son, How do you feel about the world that you've brought a child into? And how does that come out in your film? Oh, God,
2: that's such an interesting question.
1: Should I be reading into this film that you were scared about the world that he's facing? I'm terrified
2: of the world we live in. I mean, that's part of the... That's why I think we... I mean, I I know this is going to sound highfalutin in some way, but that's why we need to keep telling stories and making art and making movies i do feel like isn't all of that instinct some kind coming out of some kind of desire to interrogate the actual world we're in and ask questions of it or demand new realities of it or demand another imaginative sort of realm for it because i, I definitely think i think I don't know. It's like if I listen to the news, for instance, which I don't do anymore with my kid in the car, um, I just feel like my movie seems so lightweight. (laughs) You know, if I just listen to what is happening in the world, I I feel like we really do uh, have to sort of I mean, how do we survive knowledge? Like, how do we How can we go through the world with a full sense of knowledge about what's happening in the world?
1: Have you thought about your son seeing your films and starting to try to interpret who his mother is?
2: (laughs) You know, that's so interesting because just recently when we were in London, Michio said something to me and Phil. Um, He said, you know, I'm realizing, Mom, that you want to tell me the truth. And sometimes the truth makes me feel really bad. Wow. And, Daddy, you want to make me feel better, and I really appreciate that. But I really am glad, Mommy, that you want to tell me the truth. And I was sort of like,
1: whoa. What a profound thing.
2: <laughs> yeah, it was a really nice thing to hear. It was actually my birthday. We were sitting at the River Cafe. I felt like, could life be any better? Maybe that's what he's learning is that I'm trying to figure out a truth, you know, and
1: um, but do you feel that exploration when you're making films? Do you feel I, that search for truth?
2: Do I feel a search for truth? I do. But I think it's a really hard thing to keep in touch with. And I'm sure you are having to sort of be aware of this too. It's like that's a razor's edge you're on when you're mm-hmm. with actors and looking through a lens. Right. There's a lot to manage. But, yeah, of course I'm hoping I find something authentic, you know, Um that's all I can hope for, really.
1: I uh, I feel like there was a point in my career where I I was making films or writing where I was not cognizant of being a dad at all, mm-hmm. and then there was I'm a father, but she's not watching my movies, mm-hmm. and, and now in about <laughs> three or four years she'll be watching them and, and interpreting you. It's true, and there's no audience. That I'm more scared of yes, now yes, yes, than yes. my own daughter watching my films. I feel like, yeah, I can fool a lot of people, but right, I'm not right. going to be able to fool her. And I remember watching my own father's films sure. and starting to get a kind of sense of like, oh, all right. I mean, he's my dad, but he's also the guy who made this.
2: Right. And I think that's the interesting thing about what we do is ultimately we are revealing a lot of ourselves, whether we let on or not. We're revealing something.
1: Which one, which one of the four films do you think is the most revealing of you?
2: The Invitation. Because, you know, like, <sighs> I used to say about Girl Fight that I wanted to see a really small bandwidth of change, that I believed that that's what, that's what we should be shooting for. And the flip side of that coin is, what if the bandwidth of change is so profound that you're not yourself anymore? Wow. And that's the invitation.
1: <laughs> that is a terrifying. Thought. It's really terrifying. Not but I grapple able with it. to recognize yourself.
2: Yeah, yeah. So I'm 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 trying to find something in between the two things.
1: Does it make it harder to watch it?
2: I don't watch the movie really anymore. I I I, I mean I like seeing people like jump out of the seats and right. sort of like their occasional moments when people.
1: Do you ever? I have a I've in each film I have my I want to sneak back into the theater to watch. This happened moment. Yeah, uh, and yeah. I just watch the audience. I just you know hoping to see you know meltdowns.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, definitely there are a couple moments where I've had the deep satisfaction of seeing a scene play on the audience exactly the way I wanted it to, and that's you know, it's a crazy thing, right? Satisfying. Because
1: you 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 have an idea for a feeling. Yes, and you know it's going to take. Years. I mm-hmm. mean, it's it's uh, the, the only other art form that I could compare it to is maybe architecture, where it's like mm-hmm. you have an idea for a concept that years from now may be a building. You have yeah. an idea for a feeling yeah. that years from now you may watch an audience experience, Yeah. hopefully, precisely, and you're going to have to make so many decisions along the way.
2: Yeah, and hopefully across time. Hopefully they experience it in year one and then experience right. it in year 20. How do you do that? What, what does that mean you get outside of? To create that, you know, that's an interesting thought to me.
1: Do you think about that as far as capturing a, a period of time that, oh, mm. I want to make sure that when people watch this film.
2: I didn't know you had a dog. <laughs> this is <laughs>
1: <laughs> Hey, Bigfoot. What uh, a cute dog. Uh, Podcast <laughs>
2: listeners, you can't see this dog, but this is a really cute dog. It's
1: adorable. You can hear the dog. If you follow... <laughs> Uh, Liana, maybe on Instagram, you will see. This is the dog you, you will were talking see about. A lot I, of Bigfoot.
2: I love this, and I love that his or her name is Bigfoot.
1: <laughs> it's his name, and he is adorable, and he's totally into this podcast. He's interacting <laughs> with every element
0: right now. Wow! Wow! Wow!
1: So, Bigfoot, my question is this: When? Can Bigfoot, can one watch Old Yeller more than once? Uh, is that but or is that it? It is it... <laughs> too good. Uh, so you brought up this sense of thinking about people watching a film ten years from now, mm. twenty years from now, and there is um there's something apocalyptic about this film yes. uh which obviously raises questions about the future and whether yeah. it we'll be here yeah. or not.
2: But but I mean, um, I think you know me well enough at this point. I mean, does this surprise you? I mean, about me, I I'm always asking, are we going to be here for much longer? Personally, I really have a lot of doubts. I, mm-hmm. I um, and I I'm not going to get hung up about it. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna like go to sleep thinking about it. But you know. Let's say on that like lonely drive from like Santa Monica to the east side of Los Angeles on the 10, 5 o'clock. There's a lot of other stuff I should be thinking about, but mostly I'm wondering how much longer are we going to be here? The planet is going to be fine, but how much longer are we going to be? That's my big question.
1: <laughs> so when you think about the invitation, really it's made for... The beings that will come down a millennia from now. <laughs> yes, exactly. Dust off exactly. everything. Right, right.
2: Somehow they have some kind of organic technology that just absorbs the DCP into their nanomolecules. Nanomole-
1: because if they were to watch it, they would really see an interesting slice of who we are. Mm. Uh, people who are trying very hard to connect with each other. Yeah. Who are funny and loving and yet at the same time... Uh, have this innate ability to destroy each other.
2: Totally, totally. We're really a weird species, you know? We're not as survival-oriented as we think because we do all these crazy things that seem to say we don't really care about our
1: survival. I mean, look at this election.
2: <laughs> it's, pretty, clearly, I mean, it's pretty incredible. We we prefer
1: entertainment to survival. Yes,
2: yes, I think we do. I think we do. So that's an interesting, you know...
1: At least we, we're entertainers.
2: Absolutely. Uh, we can go down in flames knowing... <laughs> that we've made some people laugh,
1: and this film is really entertaining, <laughs> and you really should see it. And it is a pleasure talking so to you. So great, with microphones or without. So great. Uh, thank you, Karen Kasama, for doing this podcast, uh, and we hope you enjoyed it.
0: Thank you so much. This is Nick Dawson from Talk Has Film, and you've been listening to Jason Reitman and Karen Kusama on the Talk Has Film podcast. This episode was engineered by Derek Olds and edited and produced by Elia Einhorn. For more filmmakers talking film and TV, visit slash film. Subscribe to Talkhouse Film and Talkhouse Music Podcast on iTunes, where you can find all our previous episodes. And while you're there, please rate and review if you can.
2: Can I swear on this? I can't, I mean, I can't fucking For believe it. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think
0: they can afford a beep.